0: Hello and welcome. This is The Political Notebook, and I'm your host, Billy Robb, a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist with the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. This week on The Political Notebook, we're going to uh, tackle three topics. First, the election day that happened um, this week on Tuesday, what it means. We're going to try to interpret that just a little bit. And then the new tax plans that have come out uh, in the House and in the Senate. We're going to talk about what's the what's the rationale and philosophy behind those plans. And finally, in honor of Veterans Day, we'll finish with the with a reflection on Veterans Day and the World War II generation. So let's start with with election day. It's been 1 year since the election of Donald Trump. Can you believe that? It seems like it was 20 years ago. <laughs> it
1: seems to have lasted forever.
0: And that's the joy I think. I feel like it, in the very beginning, I was following everything uh, almost obsessively to make sure that an authoritarian wasn't about to take over and create a police state or that a you know, nuclear fire wasn't about to explode. And then it's kind of come in phases, I think, that I get in stretches where I, I obsess over that and read everything and I'm worried. And then I, I get, kind of get into the annoyed phases where I just try to tune out as much as possible. Uh, Trump is by far a more
1: dominant political figure uh, than anyone in my memory, even going back to Ronald Reagan. Uh, And he is an exhausting political figure. And I think that's going to play a little bit
0: uh, in uh, the 2018 election. It's almost like sometimes you don't know what is outrageous, you forget. Even on last week's episode, I I'd totally forgotten about the Flynn thing, and I feel like there's so many there's so many things that you almost can't keep the outrages in in your mind. But this week was a was an off an off year election. Uh, it's um, but there still was some important some important elections. We're going to talk about that at uh, at first. The big the big stories came out of Virginia, which um, a Democrat took the governorship, uh, Ralph uh, Northam uh, beats a guy who was trying to kind of seem like he was trying to imitate Trump a little bit and being hard, hard line against immigration um, and, and in a few other ways. But the Democrat won that race and they took over some surprising wins in their, in their uh, lawmaking body, the house of delegates. And there was some other, a few different unexpected things, but the storyline has been the Democrats um, at, Grand ship on this, on this election, and that it should worry Republicans and the GOP, and it's a bad harbinger for Trumpism in in 2018, when um, the rest of the House and the Senate, some of the Senate seats will be will be voted on. What's your take on, on that narrative? Republicans have a
1: reason to be worried about the 2018 election, you know. Identify the reasons why I think that's the case, Um, but I don't think with one exception uh, that uh, the outcome in uh, the elections on Tuesday is much of an harbinger of how the congressional and senatorial elections will come out in 2018. I think um, when voters vote for U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives, uh, the presidency is very much on their minds. I don't think that is as true uh, when they are voting for a governor or the members of a state legislative body. I think they're uh, looking uh, far more local uh, in making decisions uh, based upon um, what they think is best for the state. Only 34% in an exit poll said Trump was the primary uh, factor uh, in their vote. The one thing... F- thing that uh, in this election that that uh, is uh, should be worrisome to republicans uh, is that uh, democratic turnout in virginia and elsewhere was very high uh, that means that you've got an engaged uh, democratic electorate uh, in off-presidential years uh, often it becomes a uh, turnout battle uh, democrats are energized Republicans, I think, are dispirited uh, by uh, the lack of progress on what they perceive to be the agenda that Congress should be addressing. And the harbinger that I think should be most worrisome to Republicans is that right now on what's known as the generic ballot, where without naming names, you simply ask, would you be more inclined to vote for a Republican or Democrat uh, for the House of Representatives? Uh, the Democrats have a double-digit advantage uh, on that. Uh, That often does indicate a consolidation of feeling among independents as to which way they want to go. That, I think, should be more worrisome. Uh, I think the only message out of this election is Democrats are energized, they're engaged. Winning the turnout battle in 2018 is going to be difficult for Republicans.
0: And what I was thinking when... When you just said that people aren't necessarily thinking about the presidency at this time, it is a point that you made a little bit earlier that right now it's almost impossible not to think about the president all the time. And you think that you think that was the cause of their increasing their their turnout. Oh, I,
1: I think certainly Trump was a factor in increasing Democratic uh, turnout. Um, but I, even though Trump is dominating the news, as no president I have ever seen uh, has done, um, I don't think that people choose a governor or a member of a state legislature uh, based upon their feelings about the president. So I think it motivated turnout, uh, but um, in terms of where the independents went or others, I think it was probably more a state
0: issue. One last point on that, because on our first episode talking about Jeff Flake, we were wondering whether the Trumpism part of the GOP was becoming more dominant. Ed Gillespie, the Republican nominee for governor in Virginia, was playing out of some of those same playbooks. He was really playing up the fear, uh, the nationalist fear of immigration. One of his primary tactics. Does this signal that those tactics don't work in other in other elections as they work for Trump, or is that becoming less popular? Can you can you take that away from this election?
1: Um, I don't think you you can. Again, because those aren't issues that a governor can do much about. Um, so to to me, uh, Gillespie was run against by a hardcore Trumpite. Uh, in the primary, narrowly defeated him. Virginia is increasingly a democratic leading state. So I saw Gillespie's embrace of some of those issues as more of an attempt to energize um, a base turnout to overcome the natural disadvantages that he would have. Uh, And I think he was inauthentic in doing so. Um, It, 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 he he wasn't. It wasn't true to who he was, and I do believe that authenticity is a hugely underrated attribute in a politician and how the electorate responds to that politician. So um, the base that he was turning out, uh, I don't think thinks that he was sincere. But those issues are going to be far more pertinent uh, in. 2018 2018, when you're electing people that can actually do something about those issues right and um we will see whether you have trump loyalists running uh on the republican ticket or whether you've got people who are actually uncomfortable uh with an awful lot of what trump represents and stands for and how he conducts himself
0: arizona might be a interesting battleground playing out for Flake's replacement.
1: Arizona is one of the places where I think the question of the extent to which the Republican Party has been remade in the image of Trump uh, will be uh, revealed. Uh, We have uh, running for the Republican nomination Kelly Ward, who is uh, running as a full-fledged Trumpite. Uh, It looks like she will be contested by Martha McSally, a uh, congresswoman from the Tucson area, who is uh, very conservative, very tough on defense, uh, but stylistically is very different uh,
0: than Trump. Let's go to the second topic, uh, taxes. Maybe not as prevalent in the news cycle now with scandals hitting and so (laughs) many other things happening, but... The Republicans did release their their plan for taxes, and as I see it, if you're comp- if you're looking at any policy or law or rule, you know, a rule at, in a school or at a work, any policy, you've got kind of a couple things happen. You got the goal, which is why they're doing it, the intention of the law or the philosophy behind this rule. Then you've got the details of it or the specifics, getting in the weeds of how it's written what specifically is. The function the functions as they're written, and then of course, there's the effects of does it what what how does that play out in the real world and does it does it do what you intended to do? so there's a few different elements there. You got into the weeds a little bit of your reaction to the trump or the uh, the tax plan in your in your column earlier. I'm interested more in the maybe the big picture of the goal and the philosophy. It was sold as a middle class tax cut. Which you wrote that it's not, and that seems to be the, the takeaway that it's not. It, it doesn't. This tax plan. Conservatives want to reduce the deficit. You would think this tax plan does not reduce the deficit or cut into the debt, and it doesn't. It also does not seem to simplify or, or reform the tax system. So, what is the point of? What is the goal or the philosophy behind this tax plan that the that the Republicans are putting on the table?
1: The primary objective uh, is to reduce um, the corporate income tax rate to a rate that's more competitive with um, other countries around the world. We've got one of the highest nominal tax rates for corporations in the world. Uh, we are almost alone in the world in purporting to tax the profits that U.S. companies make overseas. That's thought to be a competitive disadvantage, and so Republicans want to eliminate those disadvantages. Trump also tends to have a corporate outlook. So while conservatives have traditionally said that the individual income tax rate is as important and perhaps even more important than the corporate income tax rate. Uh, This is almost exclusively intended to drive down the corporate income tax to make it more competitive with what we're seeing around the world. At the same time, social conservatives want to increase support for families in the tax code. Uh, So you see a significant increase in uh, the child uh, tax credit, for example. Um, when you do all of that, um, you don't have much room left over to do anything on the individual tax rate, and neither because you've
0: already, you're already cutting taxes there. So you can't for the cut, corporation so you can't cut more taxes; otherwise, you're not going to have any. You got to get it from somewhere. So it's kind of you're just there's kind of rearranging. It seems like where the where the money comes from. And it could because if if less if you're not cutting into the, if you're not cutting anything else in terms of spending and less is coming from the corporations, then more has to come. I've 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 read and heard things about this is also gonna increase by reducing some of the things you can deduct and reducing some of the credits for ordinary middle class people. Is it gonna be more of a burden for them? And, and at the I, benefit of the corporations. Y- no, I, I don't think there's much
1: of a middle class tax cut um, in significant part because the middle class doesn't pay a large share of income taxes now. Uh, but it is largely, I think, neutral or even a little bit advantageous for the middle class. The standard deduction is doubled uh, the uh, point at which various tax rates are assessed and increase. Uh, is, occurs at a higher income level. Um, it is true that there are a variety of credits and deductions that are uh, reduced. That, uh, I think, is important. And I actually think there, there is in the House bill, less so in the Senate bill, a pretty uh, useful step forward in making the tax code more simple by getting rid of a lot of the credits and deductions. Uh, but they cut taxes by more than you gain from doing that and have um, set as a um, bottom line, uh, increasing the deficit by no more than $1.5 trillion over uh, 10 years. The argument is is that if you reduce the corporate income tax rate, as they say they're going to do, you will be able to increase uh, the rate of economic growth. Uh, It's currently sort of sluggish at 2% a year, if you could increase that to 3% a year, which economists that support this plan think is possible, you would, from that additional economic activity, produce enough money to wipe away the deficit that, from a static analysis, uh, it contains. That's the bet that's embedded in the bill.
0: Which is classic Reaganomics, right? The trickle-down theory that... You,
1: well, it's not, I, 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 Reagan cut tax rates for everybody and cut them proportionately. Bush actually cut them more for the middle class and the lower class than for the upper class. Um, So um, I don't regard it as, as trickle down. It's something for everybody. There are uh, lower rates for small businesses and uh, the argument is that some of the cuts that occur in corporate profits will find their way into the pockets of, of workers. No one doubts that, no one disputes that that's true. The question is the extent to which it's true, and there's a lot of disagreement over that.
0: No one disputes that when you give corporations tax cuts, they can increase their productivity and that benefits the average person
1: not among responsible economists um the corporate one of the problems with the corporate income tax is that no one really knows who pays it um to the extent that their competitive situation permits obviously businesses would want to pass that on uh, in terms of higher prices to consumers Um, to the extent that can't be done, uh, then some of it is eaten by shareholders in the form of um, less profitability, less business growth. And some of it's eaten by workers uh, in lower wages. Um, So the question isn't whether all those three things happen among responsible economists. The question is, where does it fall mostly? And about there that is great disagreement. And the reality is it differs from business to business depending upon their competitive environment.
0: I think the yeah, the criticism I think I, I hear from the from the left is that you don't see that. If you're a corporation from a corporation, I'm making X million dollars a year. If I get a tax cut, that's going that's going to me and my CEO pay and It's not going to increase necessarily the wages of my my workers or or anything like that.
1: Well, to the extent you face a competitive labor market, and to the extent good workers is are critical for you selling a good or service as opposed to a competitor, uh, there will be market pressure to um, use some of that and to uh, increase wages. As as I say, I mean you do hear that on the political left among. Uh, more liberal economists, there's not really a dispute that some of it will find its way to workers. The dispute is over um, how much and whether this is the best way uh, if the goal is to increase worker pay to accomplish that result.
0: Do you think this is a good law? Would you vote for it if you are sitting there as a lawmaker? Uh, I would not uh, because uh, I'm,
1: I mean, I, to the extent you want to use trickle-down as a pejorative, I'm a trickle-down guy. Uh, In reality, I think it's growth-oriented tax policy. And I am among those who believe that the individual tax rate uh, is as important, if not more important, than the corporate tax rate. So if you expand the base uh, and you don't do anything to reduce individual marginal tax rates or don't do much, then you foreclose the opportunity to do that in the future. I also uh, don't like the effect on the deficit and making the bet on increased economic growth. And I point towards the Simpson-Bowles Commission, which was appointed by President Obama and then promptly ignored by him in his uh, recommendations. Um, but Simpson, the Simpson-Bowles Commission uh, structured a tax code that got rid of almost all credits and deductions and would reduce both the corporate and the individual top tax rate to below 30 percent and at the same time not relying on additional growth in the future produce more revenue for the federal government uh, to make the deficit and debt situation better by predicting growth no not not based upon growth by Inca- increasing the rates by less than you expand the base. Uh, I believe that that would be more pro-growth and it would produce even more for the federal government
0: because there's than, as, there's than, as, than was pro- projected. Because there's not as many ways to get out of paying taxes. Right. Oh, god, guess. Well,
1: and, and, and if you broaden the base,
0: the rate applies about so more, more people, income. more people are, are paying a little bit and you're getting rid of all the... Things you can take off of paying. Right. Gotcha. Are you still the opinion that this is not going to pass? Are you still pessimistic about its chances politically? Uh, I am. I think that, there's,
1: th- that it is uh, excessively complicated, particularly on the small business side. Uh, I, I think they're having trouble keeping it within the deficit target. I think there are some Republicans that are having second thoughts about adding to the deficit. Uh, that much. Um, so I would be extremely surprised, uh, given that you have to have only Republican votes because Democrats aren't going to vote for it. I'll be extremely surprised if it passes. The other reason for that is um, Trump's um, superficial leadership. Uh, you're just not going to get this over the hump by insulting the people who have to vote for it. You mean the cut, cut, cut acts? <laughs> and uh, he is simply not capable of engaging on the substance of the issue right. to persuade reluctant senators.
0: And this might not have a simple answer, but it seems like they can't get anything done. They're they have they've been talking about Obamacare for eight years. They have all three: uh, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. Couldn't get that done, and it. Crappy law. couldn't. No one liked it. And it seems like the same thing is probably going to happen with taxes. No one really seems to be too thrilled about this. Jeff Flake has already said he doesn't support it for the deficit. Um, he said he's worried deficit, about it. Worried about it for the yeah, deficit reason. So what, what's the deal? <laughs>
1: well, it used to be that you could blame it on the filibuster rule. Uh, But even without the filibuster rule, they couldn't
0: Which the filibuster rule makes it so you need 60 votes uh, instead of the normal, just simple majority. But but they using
1: the budget reconciliation process, they um, only needed 50 votes to repeal and replace Obamacare. They didn't get them. Uh, They only need 50 votes in the Senate to enact tax reform. Uh, My guess is they don't get them. Um, And. Circling back to our original conversation, uh, I think the fact that nothing is getting done, and it doesn't appear that anything can get done, will have a dispiriting effect on Republican turnout in 2018.
0: Right. Well, Saturday is Veterans Day, and we'll just finish with a with a reflection on. On veterans and the and the significance, and takes on personal significance, um, just to share, my grandfather and my dad's dad, we called him Papa, was a World War II vet. How old was he when he went over to Japan or the islands? 18 or 19. And um, saw some of the bloodiest fighting over there. Was injured a couple times. Was ready to ready to die. Saw people dying around him, and I've. It's just hard for me to fathom in the life that I live, having to just face that. Felt like certainty of death, and and seeing all that. Um, I've read about it. I've read I've read books about the fighting in the Pacific. I've watched films about it, but I just cannot fathom what that would be like to actually have to, to face that, which is, I'm sure all, um, it's hard to identify, I think, unless you've been there, I'm sure for, for people who've seen, seen battle and are willing to, to put themselves in that position. And I think
1: that's why there's such a fraternity among those who have uh, gone through that experience. Cause I do believe it's impossible for those of us who haven't served are possibly even those who have served but not uh, been engaged in that kind of um, up-close hand-to-hand combat, which is what um, my dad engaged in in three different battles in in the Pacific. Uh, He was an amphibian tank gunner. Um, When the atomic bomb was dropped, he was actually on the island of Hawaii training uh, for the initial invasion force uh, into on the island, main island of Japan. Uh, he um, rarely talked about his war experiences, but one of the things that he did uh, say at one point in time was that uh, given how much death he had seen around him, Uh, that he had simply reconciled himself, um, that he wouldn't survive this last uh, combat.
0: How do you think that affected him and people like him and maybe how does that continue to affect generations of of people that come after uh, a group like that?
1: Uh, I think it not only affected them, but it Uh, dramatically changed the course of the country. Tom Brokaw has called that the the greatest generation. But when you reflect upon it, uh, when World War II broke out, uh, the United States was still struggling to overcome the Great Depression. Uh, Our combat veterans, uh, military service personnel, came home. uh, And in the course of just a decade or two, transformed what was then a war war economy into the world's greatest consumer economy. I think that um, having gone through that experience, these were people with a seriousness of purpose. Uh, They weren't going to simply drift through life. Um, I also think that it uh, affected their psyche Uh, in ways that I'm not sure those of us in the boom baby boom generation who grew up with that generation as our parents ever fully uh, comprehended, understood, or uh, appreciated. My father was similar to many other veterans of that era in not um, talking about his experience. Um, but I think it uh, shaped his every thought and activity. And even though he rarely talked about it at the end, uh, when dementia set in, he replayed scenes from The War in His Head. Uh, That's what was closest to uh, his heart and conscious uh, thought. One of the greatest changes in our country... Uh, in recent years, to me, having gone through the Vietnam War years, is the now universal appreciation for all veterans, uh, those that are in combat, those that are in support activities, those that volunteer to serve their country. And uh, even though the Iraq War was uh, a difficult political experience, uh, one of the things that I thought was great and different about the country is that the vets weren't brought into that Um, they were respected by all sides and having gone through the vietnam war period uh, where that was not true uh, it's one of the most uh, gratifying and rewarding changes that i've seen in the country over the
0: last 20 years definitely shout out to all the veterans and people that have uh, friends and loved ones that are our veterans, we appreciate the willingness and um, just all that you do. And we, as a, as a country politically, we can question wars, we can, we can question decisions, um, but we'll never question just the courage and the willingness uh, to go when, when asked those veterans don't, that, they go when asked, and they're ready to give up their lives in many, many cases, and all uh, cert- different kinds of circumstances for for their country. Amen. So catch us on on iTunes now. You can subscribe. we will also on Google Play. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. This is the Political Notebook, and thank you for listening.